0: Father, we ask that you gently but deeply pour out the Holy Spirit upon us and uh, bring uh, the story of Christmas uh, deeply to our heart, to the command center of our lives, uh, where uh, we might know you, Father, and, uh, and uh, we might be more and more and more shaped by the gospel. And all these things we ask in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. So, my Christmas Eve sermons are always a bit weird, I know there's lots of little ones I know they're very very wiggly and um, and I so we try to intersperse the sermon with uh some videos. Andrew do you have the the, the first video sort of lined up? Okay.
1: Rest from your native dwelling. Oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree, with every eye decaying. Oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree, silver and raining with gentle trains to hide the. We move the needles from the ground, O oh, Christmas tree, O oh, Christmas tree, the rotten branches spray. Counting tears and, and tripping thoughts
0: A couple of weeks ago, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody in a coffee shop, and it was just after that uh, Christian missionary, uh, you know, the young guy who went on an island where where, uh, they didn't like people from outside, it was a complete unreached people group, and he got killed, remember he got killed, his body was on the the shore, I think, uh, for a little while before they were able to rescue it, and this uh, this fellow, this friend of mine, whom I've talked to quite a few times, uh, you know, uh, gay sort of uh, vaguely Jewish uh, and uh, very, very secular. He found himself, he was telling me, he found himself completely and utterly gripped by the story of this missionary, this young guy. Uh, Both fascinated that this young guy would have such a desire to go and even risk his life, and at the same time just sort of bothered that something like that would go on in the Christian faith, that uh, there's something about that, we, you know, telling other people about it was so important. Anyway, we had this conversation one of those odd moments. Um, in a, he, he actually worked in that particular place and we had five or six or seven minutes where nobody came to the lineup. We had a bit of a conversation and uh, he got to air some of his... Mis- you know, he said certain things he thought about Christians and he trusted that I wouldn't be offended. And and one of the things I said to him is that uh, Christians, no, no, nobody who reads the Bible should come to the conclusion that the Bible believes the world is divided between good people and bad people. I said, the Bible... Doesn't teach that Christians aren't supposed to believe that. It's just not what Christians believe. I said Christians believe that the the line between good and evil goes right down every individual, that every human being that we can do good things, but everything about us is is touched by by evil. And I said so. The gospel I said to him isn't about how to make good bad people good. The Bible. The gospel is how to make dead people alive. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And um, the wonderful thing about that funny, silly video is that it, it really tries to bring home to us the fact that uh, we are separated from God and uh, and we're on, on the way to dying, <laughs> I know it came to come here to Christmas Eve, and I tell you really, really fantastic stuff. You're all one closer to death than you were the day before. Uh, and it bothers lots of us to hear that, but the fact of the matter is it's just un- unbelievably true. And and so it's it's that type of context where we have to hear the, the, the stories of Christmas. So I, I read from Luke. If you have your Bibles, it's, it's going to be up there on the screen. Uh, I'll just sort of refresh your mind about the first part of it. Uh, Andrew, if you could just skip to, um, on the screen to verse, uh, verse 8. So um, Luke, who by the way uh, was born a pagan, lived a pagan, as a pagan for many, many years, he would have w- worshipped the gods of Rome and maybe the gods of Greece, just the same gods with different names. Uh, we never hear about how it happens, but we know that as an adult, as a well-educated man, he was a doctor, uh, he became a Christian after having been a pagan for, for, for decades, and uh, he ends up writing uh, a biography of Jesus because he was a well-educated man. And as a doctor, he was concerned about facts and, and understanding things. And so he interviewed a whole pile of eyewitnesses. He uh, read official documents, and he, he tells us a true story of Jesus. Not a story inspired by true events or based on true events, but a true story of Jesus. And uh, we have here this just very, very simple description of how Jesus got born. We'll just sort of read that and just to bring it right to our minds. It goes, verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Uh, This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, uh, each to his own town. And uh, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because He was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And just sort of pause there. One of the things which is so wonderful about this story is, um, you know, a lot of times when I talk to people about what they believe spiritually, uh, they'll tell me abstractions, they'll tell me principles, they'll tell me different uh, practices that they follow. uh, They tell me some of the ideas that they, they hold as being very, very precious. And on one hand, of course, we Christians can understand that. I mean, we understand certain practices and we have certain ideas. But the thing which is so wonderful about the Christian faith is that it, it's, it's rooted in history. It's, uh, Luke claims to be telling us a true story about something that happens to a man named uh, Jesus. And in the story of his birth, one of the things which is so neat about this is that it's just like real life. You know, just like in real life, uh, you know, the politicians, Trump makes a decision and he can make a decision, and before you know it, fleets are in motion, and armies are in motion, and uh, and the whole Twitter sphere is completely and utterly enraged, and there's demonstrations on the street, uh, or it can be the same for Putin, it can be the same for Trudeau. He can make a decision about who gets to have summer jobs, and the next thing you know, the whole nation has to move and bend, and here we have Caesar Augustus, He makes the decision that he has to have a better understanding of who's in his empire so he can tax them better and so he can raise up troops better. And he makes this decision, and before you know it, even something Joseph and Mary, whom he's never heard of, and he's never heard of Jesus, and he's probably never heard of Jewish people, and he's never read the Bible, and he just makes this decision of his own free will, and people are moving all over the empire, and in the process of it, he causes events to just transpire so that Jesus fulfills in his birth a whole pile of prophecies written anywhere from 400 to 1,000 years earlier, and that's really cool. And so Joseph and Mary find themselves in Bethlehem, and in verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And, um, you know, I talked about this a little bit yesterday yesterday. Uh, Probably what's going on here, partially, it doesn't have to be an inn. It could just be a room somewhere. And the city was piled with people, and uh, and Joseph probably had some relatives there, but he was also facing social ostracism because he'd he'd uh, he didn't divorce or put Mary aside when she had a baby out of because wed- she was pregnant out of wedlock, and the, both of them are living with that stigma, and that social ostracism. So the baby, and it's very interesting because. This story is going to tell us remarkable things about who Jesus is, but it tells us that Jesus is born outside, not inside any room or shelter, but outside, and after his birth, they put him in a feeding trough where animals would be, would be fed. Now, one of the things which is so cool about the Christian faith, so neat about it, is that it, uh, we believe that uh, God keeps doing things and acting in our world, and when God acts, he doesn't just sort of act Uh, I mean, sometimes he acts just in our lives like that. But in in the Bible, what it is, is that God acts, and then he helps us to understand what he's done. He tells us, this is what I've done, and this is what it means. And often he tells us, and this is how you're supposed to respond, to respond correctly. And so Luke here gives us a bit of an explanation about the birth, and it comes in the next few verses. Look at verse uh, 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now just pause here for a second. One of the things you need to understand about these shepherds is that there is nothing holy about them. Now, maybe you could ask Major, the Reverend Major Turner, or a couple of other things, what's it like when there's a whole pile of guys out in the bush and there's no women around? I'm, I'm sure they're probably spending all their time uh, praying, um, reading Shakespeare, um, some knitting, maybe. So the thing about it is you have to get rid of all of this pious imagery that we have about the Bible. What Jesus is, what the Bible is saying here is there's a bunch of guys out in the bush without any women around. And they were acting like guys in the bush with no women around. That's what they were doing. And uh, you can talk to a couple of guys about what that might have been. At a bare minimum, one of the ways that working-class guys were in, in the bush, away from the women, one of the bare minimum things they would do is if they talked to each other, they'd be insulting each other all the time because that's how you communicate affection. If you're a guy, you insult the other person. And there was probably anyway. We won't go any further with that. But this is a before picture. This isn't a whole pile of people who were picked because they were especially holy. And that's probably part of the reason why they're afraid. An angel shows up. Who knows what they were doing? And they are completely and utterly uh, terrified by it. And in verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now just sort of pause there. I don't know if you noticed the huge disconnect. Uh, the angel said, uh, listen, first of all, it's an angel who shows up to talk to these shepherds. The, the original language is he stands right, he gets right in their face. He stands right in front of them. So the shepherds are all here. The angel isn't sort of like way back a kilometer yelling at them. The angel gets right in their face and the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. And he says, in the city is born a savior and he is the Lord. And he is Christ. It means that all of the Old Testament prophecies about however they worked, about God's deliver, it's all been fulfilled. That baby is being born just down the hill. And then you'd expect to say, and this is going to be the sign. And the sign might be that if you go down there, there's a thousand angels around him. If the sign, if you go down, the whole village has come around and they're all praying and there's, they're singing psalms. Or maybe there's a whole pile of army people. Uh, or there's some great majestic thing. And that's what you expect him to say. But the, the story takes a very, very funny turn. This person who is the Savior and the Christ and the Lord, he's lying in a manger. He's lying in a feeding trough. And, uh, and so then in verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God. And by the way, whenever you see that word heavenly host, you know what it means? It means an angel army. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that in a lot of modern liturgies, they get rid of any reference to a host because we have to all be pacifists nowadays and you can't have any reference to the military. But what is, is there, it's an angel army and the angel army is singing. And what are they saying? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So they, they aimed the, here's one of the things which is so cool about this, you know. Um, my, uh, when you have a remarkable event, you remember things. Uh, some of you know I have nine kids. So I don't know. There's thousands of times you pushed a kid in a stroller. <laughs> like I had thousands of times where I did that. But there's one particular time I was pushing with my wife, some of our kids in the stroller, and I always remember that particular event. Why do I remember that particular event? Because it happened, remember, I don't know how many years ago, was it when all of the eastern seaboard of Canada the United States lost their power? I can't remember how long ago that was, but then everybody lost their power. You might remember that. And so we didn't have any power, and it was really, really, really dark in the city. It was very unusual because there's no electricity anywhere. And, uh, and I remember we decided we'd go out for a walk. It was like a July night or something. We went out for a walk, pushing our little kids in the stroller. And I can't remember which one was in the stroller. But all of a sudden, uh, he excitedly or she excitedly said, look, the power's come back on. And it was because a car was coming around the corner. <laughs> and, uh, and, and my child thought that because the car had lights on, it meant the power was coming back on. And I mean, that's a, a nothing story, but I always remember that. I always remember that because of the context of us having no power. And the thing which is so neat about this story is that in a sense, Caesar Augustus organized and orchestrated a story so that 40 years later, 30 years later, when people are looking out eyewitnesses, they'd say, "Do you remember back when Caesar Augustus made us all go back to Bethlehem? And was there anything weird that happened that night, and people would all go, "Oh, yeah!" I could hardly get any sleep that night because a woman who was outside was giving birth to a baby and she kept screaming. Cuz babies when they get born it's not usually quiet like without any drugs it's like there's lots of screaming. And and so probably for decades afterwards you know people might not remember all sorts of other births but that birth they would remember. And because they would remember that birth and because they hadn't been able to have any sleep, there were probably lots of people coming down to see what was going on with the woman and they would have seen the shepherds and they would have heard all the things that the shepherds had to say. And it's one of the things which is remarkable about this story that makes it so believable that when Luke was going to look for eyewitnesses to find out what happened, he'd have all sorts of people who could remember because of that unique set of circumstances. Before we go any further, next video. So, just to sort of uh, bring this to, start to bring to a bit of a conclusion, um, what, we, what we hear in the Christmas story, what Christmas Christmas is all about, um, in, in secular Christmas, not that there's anything wrong with secular Christmas, it's not that there's anything wrong with Canadian Christmas, but Christian Christmas is something different. It emerges out of remembering and reconnecting and rejoicing in these foundational stories about the birth of Jesus. At the heart of the, this is, if you could put up the first point, Andrew, at the heart of this is Luke's story is what the angels say the baby is. It's what the angels tell the shepherds who the baby is. And the angels say that when we hear God, we hear good news, we hear good news from God. That's what the angels say. And the good news from God is that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ is born. It's news that comes from God. It's news about who Jesus is, and it's it's news that, that all of the prophecies are fulfilled, that he is going to be the one who is going to save us. And it opens up this other thing, that ultimately only God can save us. And so when it says that he is Lord, it has this double meaning. It means that he is to be Lord of our lives, but it also points to the fact that it's not just a human being who has been born, but that it is God, the Son of God himself, who has been born, who has come to save us. We could see the next video, which is silence and fury. That will help bring this home. If you could uh, put up the next point. Uh, uh, one of the things which is so remarkable about this story is not that not just that uh, God himself comes and is born in a stable, not just that he is the one who is going to save us, not just that he is the one who is Lord, not just that he is the one who is keeping God, is showing that God has kept all of his promises to send a savior and deliverer. But hidden in this story, in a part that often gives us lots of trouble, is this other idea that everything about what God is doing in the person of Jesus is all grace. We hear good news from God. Our faith in him is all grace from beginning to end, and every moment in between, it's all grace. And it comes in this odd part of the, the, the angel song, which often troubles people, but it shouldn't trouble you because what it's saying is exactly what I have up there. It says in in the Song of the Angels, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the message is is that because of the birth of this baby, uh, there is going to be a means that God has provided whereby human beings can once again be at peace with God. We've been at enmity with God. Uh, We have been enemies of God. God himself is doing something to make peace with himself. And it says, on those whom he has favor and whom he has blessing. And the wonderful thing is this news all comes to a, to shepherds. They're, once again, a group of guys out in the bush without the women, <laughs> not doing holy things probably. And the message comes to them. And this is the wonderful thing. It's out of God's grace that you hear about Jesus. It's out of God's grace that you uh, you turn your heart to him. When you turn your heart to him, what he gives you is grace, which is unmerited kindness. And what it is, and so at every point in time, it's not as if you have to live a good life and finally God will show you grace. It's not as if you have to be successful. It's not as if you have to be a winner. It's not as if you have to be beautiful. It's not as if you have to be, be just anything like that. You can be broken. You can be anything. And that God comes to you with unmerited kindness that you might turn to him. And when you turn to him, you only receive unmerited kindness. And when you walk with Jesus, all you ever receive from him is unmerited kindness and mercy. And that's what the angels are saying. God is providing the means by which we can be at peace with him. And everything about this is grace, unmerited favor, unmerited favor. You don't have to become purified, before you know something and before you can have peace with God. It begins with having peace with God, and that begins to have a way by which you can start to see the world different and start to live a different type of life. If you could put up the next point, Andrew, that would be very, very great. You see, what we need to do is to pray that the Lord will grow in us a new sense of identity and self as, we, as I receive, as you receive, as we receive and ponder your good news, God's good news. You see, because what happens is the way that all religions, Sean did a, a wonderful sermon, I don't know how many years ago, well, how many months ago it was, where he talks about how every different system of thought or religion or ideology, it's all about a matter of you have to purify yourself in some way. And after you've purified yourself in some way, then maybe you start to get some type of illumination and knowledge. And after you've been purified and you have some illumination and knowledge, then you can finally have union with God. And the good news of the gospel is is that the it's the complete opposite process. That what happens is completely and utterly out of grace. You put your faith and trust in Jesus and you have peace with God and union with God. And as that starts to grip your identity and your self-understanding of who you are, It starts to illuminate you. You have the security to start to look within you and you see the things within you that have to be dealt with and have to be changed. And it it gives illumination about how generosity has to have a bigger part of your life or love or forgiveness. And, And as this story grips you, it starts to give you a way of seeing yourself and identifying yourself and understanding who you are that creates the energy to start to change how you live. That's the gospel. So, folks, we're going to have one more video to, to wrap this up. If you could just put up the final point, though, before we have the video. Um, here's how, here's, you see, the Christmas stories are to start to, to free us and form us into how we celebrate Christmas. And this is the entire Old Testament pattern about how you do that, that we celebrate by remembering with others. That's what we're doing tonight. We remember who Jesus is and what he did for us with others. We rejoice with others. We recommit to Jesus with others. Well, and then most of us will do this either tonight or tomorrow we feast, hopefully with others. Make sure you invite others along. And that's what we do. We, we come together to remember Jesus. And as we remember Jesus, we get more and more gripped by it and it starts to form us. This wonderful uh, video which we'll have in closing, uh, it's just a wonderful telling of the Christmas story. And it's a wonderful testimony of a person who just realized that even though she was a Christian, she was finding her identity and self-sense of, of worth. In all the wrong places, and she needs to be once again just gripped by the gospel. This will be—we'll see with this—and then we'll close in prayer.
2: I know it's no one's fault. It's no one's fault that someone is born with a with a disability, but then you still feel like, but why did this happen to us?
3: Welcome to all of you. Please take a seat. We want to now share a. Nativity great. This story of Christmas, we tell it in rhyme. Some actors have lines,
2: while some of us mime. I was overwhelmed with grief uh, at the loss. I thought the beautiful baby has got Down syndrome, and it's such a disaster. Meanwhile, great Caesar
3: Augustus in Rome made a decree return to your home. But Joseph, this ruling met Bethlehem town. So they
2: rode on their donkey all the way down. God didn't give me a straightforward answer of why this happened. It just took time for me to realize God's answer was, wasn't so much what was wrong with Levi, as much as there was something wrong with the way I was thinking. Mary was speechless.
3: She didn't know how these things would have happened but still
2: she bowed. I think of Mary, of all she goes through. It's not her plan, it's God's plan. She just goes with it. She's humble, she's calm. She's reassured by the fact that everything's going to be okay.
3: For he has remembered me, his lonely servant. From now on, all the people will call me happy. He has brought down mighty kings from the throne,
2: and lift up the lonely What we learned um, was that God was with us, God suffered with us, and and He gave us the most beautiful child and there was no reason for me to grieve or compare her or, you know, know, feel feel sorry for her, in my old view. Before she taught me, I thought she would lack, she's not lacking.
3: So gathered around that we may be boy, all people are welcome to know heaven's joy, from angels to donkeys, from shepherds to king, the little Lord Jesus, God's miracle he bring. He came to our darkness from heaven above, he stooped to the crib and the cross out of love. He fed in our weakness and weakness and mess, and still he Embraced us nevertheless. If you're feeling rejected, excluded, the stranger, remember the one who came down to the manger.
0: Please uh, please stand, and we'll just uh, close uh, this with a prayer. Let's stand. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you that uh, he comes down to share the mess and the complexity of our lives, that he comes to bear the sin that we cannot deal with. He comes to bear the shame that we cannot deal with. He comes to deal with the accusations that we cannot deal with. And we thank you, Father, that... uh, He deals with all of these things when he dies on the cross. But we also thank you that, Father, his perfect life clothes us as well. That when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, it's not just what he takes away, but what he gives us. And we thank and praise you, Father, that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he is with us every day, and he is with us in our weakness, and he's with us when we're anxious. And so we ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit would grip us with this story of who Jesus is, remembering that the, the, the cradle reveals what his lordship is like in our lives and grant us a deeper trust in him that he might form how we understand who we are and what our hope is. And all these things we ask in the name of Jesus, your son and your savior, amen.